Lutheran's Church. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 48. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at the first 22 verses this morning. We're going to be talking about generational blessing. And so as we do that, I want to start with this, or this illustration. The illustration is titled, Do You Ever Wonder Why? Most of us wonder about the oddities of life at one time or another. Well, did you ever wonder why people spend so much for those little bottles of Evian water? Try spelling it backwards. You know what it spells? Naive, right? You're naive to buy water that expensive. Have you ever wondered why they say uh, something is out of whack? What is a whack? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever wondered uh, why the man who in, or woman who invests your money is called a broker? Broke. I don't have any money. Anyhow, have you ever wondered if lawyers are disbarred and clergymen are defrocked? Doesn't it follow that electricians can be delighted? <laughs> Musicians denoted? Cowboys deranged? Models deposed? Tree surgeons debarked? And dry cleaners depressed? Have, have you thought about those? No. You haven't been wondering about that? Have you ever wondered if Lipton Tea employees take coffee breaks? I don't know. And then, lastly, have you ever wondered what hair color they put on the driver's license of bald men? I've never, never thought to ask that question. I know some of you want to get your driver's license out right now, don't you? <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so in Scripture, there are many things that cause the reader to wonder why, Right? In this passage, there are a number of whys, some of which are answered while we are left to wonder about others. So we may wonder why Jacob elevated Ephraim and Manasseh to the status of sons, and why he uh, crossed his arms and put his right hand on Ephraim's head when he was the younger son of Joseph. <clears throat> we may wonder at the blessing Jacob speaks over Ephraim and Manasseh and Joseph. One thing that we can be sure of is the blessing Jacob bestowed on Ephraim as a generational blessing. It had come down the line from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and now on to Ephraim. When I think about generational blessings, there's a couple of things that come to mind. Judy and I have experienced the generational blessing of estate money. I think only once that's happened. But that's a blessing, isn't it? These family members thought about the next generation and blessed them with some estate money. But I think the greater generational blessing is that we've, re, uh, we've received a spiritual heritage that's been passed on from our parents, our grandparents, and even generations further back. <laughs> to me, that's a greater blessing. To grow up in a family, an extended family, that has a relationship with Jesus and encourages the next generation to be in a relationship with Jesus. What an incredible generational blessing that is. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you have the opportunity to begin that in your family. 
So what kind of generational blessings can we all reflect on this morning? Is it spiritual, like I just spoke about? Is it financial? Is it occupational? Maybe you carried on the family business. Or maybe it's physical. You inherited property or, or something else. Jacob reflected on the blessings of God Almighty that he had promised him when he met him at Luz, which is Bethel. In his blessing of Joseph, he reflected on the blessing of a spiritual heritage that his father and his grandfather had left him. Finally, he blessed Joseph with a piece of land in Canaan that had been his, that had been his prior. And what we'll learn from this passage of Scripture today is that we can experience the blessings of God from generation to generation. That's so important. And so let's just pause this morning, and let's just lift it up to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. Thank you for that it's true, that we can uh, glean principles and truths from it, Lord God, for our own lives. And Lord, today I pray that you would do that through your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would speak, that your voice will be heard and not my own. And Lord, we just lift it up to you. And now this morning, just as a congregation, in the quietness of your heart or out loud if you want to, would you just pray this prayer after me? Dear Holy Spirit, open my heart and my mind to your word today. Speak to me. Transform me by the power of your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at three points today. Beneficiaries, blessed, and bequeathed. And so let's look at verses 1 to 12. As we think about these boys, these two boys that are going to be adopted, they're going to be the beneficiaries of sonship, being the sons of Jacob. <clears throat> so let's look at the verses 1 to 12. This is what God's Word says. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the uh, land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours in the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan, to my uh, sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, <clears throat> I never expected to see your face again 
And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And so as we think about this first point of beneficiaries, what we see happening in these 12 verses is that Jacob adopted Ephraim and Manasseh as his sons. They were elevated from grandsons to sons. We see Joseph's visit. Now, we don't know the exact amount of time that passed from uh, Joseph's solemn vow to bury Jacob in Canaan, as we saw last week in verse uh, 31 of chapter 47. And this current visit, it's just vague. We don't really know. They don't give us a good uh, sampling of what what that looks like. But um, Wolke says this, Sometime later, the Hebrew is literally after these things, is referring to after the oath ceremony. It was certainly a short period of time. It wasn't months or years later. All of this that we're talking about right now is un- has unfolded in the 17th year of Jacob being in Egypt. So it's, it's happening kind of quickly at this point. And what prompted Joseph's visit was news that his father was ill. So something had changed from the last time he had come, and Jacob had him promise that he would have him buried in Canaan. Something changed. Perhaps it was his brother Saul just a drastic decline in their father. Maybe he, he was just sleeping all the time. It kind of happens close to the end. Maybe he stopped eating and drinking. Like he just wasn't taking in any nourishment at this point. And they're like, oh, this is serious. Something's going on here. We need to contact Joseph and let him know that this is happening. So Joseph, um, he just uh, he came to Goshen with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Joseph lists them in birth order. I want you to remember that this morning. Manasseh is the oldest, Ephraim is the younger. That's important as we get into this passage of Scripture. And the fact that Joseph came to Goshen helps us understand that he had not moved to Goshen to live there with his family. He was still in the city where Pharaoh was at. He was still in the capital city of Egypt. He hadn't made that transition. He wasn't living with them. And so he probably brought his sons with him in anticipation of a patriarchal blessing. This was part of the culture of that day. These, these patriarchal blessings would come down from generation to generation. But little did he know what was about to happen, right? Yes, yeah, certainly he, Jacob was going to bless his sons, but he had no idea that they were going to be elevated to, uh, to son status. And so when Jacob was told that Joseph had come, it says that he rallied his strength and he sat up on the bed. And so uh, Hamilton in his commentary says this, Jacob has deteriorated from quote-unquote dwelling in Goshen to quote-unquote dwelling in bed. So he wasn't going around you know, doing stuff outside anymore. He was just uh, you know, pretty much stuck in bed at this point. And the fact that Jacob musters up the strength to sit up in bed shows how important this visit is to him. He knows what's about to happen. Joseph doesn't. Manasseh and Ephraim don't. But Jacob does. And so then we see that he shared the terms of his adoption of Ephraim and Manasseh. Jacob repeated the covenant given to him many years before at Bethel that had initially been given to Abraham. Now here it says Luz, but it tells us that it was, that was the ancient name for Bethel. In Genesis chapter 28, verses 13 to 15, we see this promise, this covenant that he had received from the Lord. This is what it says. There above it, and that's talking about the ladder that extended from heaven to earth. 
There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and, uh, and you will uh, spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you uh, wh- wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And so the blessing of Jacob was a continuation of the blessing given to Abraham and Isaac. The same blessing was given to both of them that they were going to inherit this land, that they were going to be a a great nation. And so he was experiencing the generational blessing from Abraham and Isaac, and we can experience the blessings of God from generation to generation too. But here's what happens next. This blessing, this adoption, is only going to be for Ephraim and Manasseh. It isn't going to be for any of Joseph's other children. And notice that Jacob refers to Joseph's sons in reverse birth order. Important. Keep thinking about that. Don't let that slip away. That's significant. Ephraim and Manasseh will be to Jacob like Reuben and Simeon were, his first two sons that were born to him. So that's what Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be like to him. Any children born to Joseph after Ephraim and Manasseh will be Joseph's. And it says that they will not inherit a portion of the promised land like Ephraim and Manasseh will, but they will be part of the inheritance that they gain as two of the 12 tribes of Israel. So any, of other Joseph, any more children born to Joseph are going to inherit land in the promised land under Ephraim and Manasseh. They're not going to have their own uh, separate portion. Only Ephraim and Manasseh were elevated. Now, Matthews in his commentary says this, Since Joseph is the recipient of Reuben's right of inheritance as the firstborn, according to the chronicler, the sons of Joseph also received firstborn rights as the adopted son. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about First Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. The sons of Reuben, the, first, yeah, the, sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, and then in parentheses it says, He was the firstborn... But when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights as firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. So he could not uh, be listed in the genealogical record in accordance with his birthright. And though Judah was the strongest of his brothers and a ruler came from him, the rights of the firstborn belonged to Joseph. So Joseph gets elevated to the firstborn status. He is the firstborn of his mother, Rachel, but not the firstborn of Jacob. But he gets elevated to that position because of some things that have happened within the family. So our first principle this morning is this, and it comes from Gangle and Bramer's commentary. God is in control of circumstances, and he works providentially to accomplish his purposes. We see that here. God's purpose was to have 12 tribes of Israel that would inherit the promised land. He knew about Reuben's sin of defiling his father's marriage bed, which forfeited his status as firstborn. God knew about that. God knew his plans involved having one of Israel's sons, Levi, become a tribe of priests that would not need an inheritance, but would live in 44 cities scattered throughout Israel. So they weren't going to receive their own portion. So he knew all about those things. So if Joseph is not going to be one of the 12, we have two openings, right? from Reuben and from Levi. And so we have Ephraim and Manasseh that step into those roles. That's pretty cool. 
So God was working providentially to accomplish his purposes, and he does the same thing in our lives. I want you to take a moment just to think about how God has done that in the past for you. How has he worked providentially? You know, for me, I have several instances when I knew that God was working out his plan and purpose in my life. It was so clear to me um, when that was taking place, and it was just really, really neat to see. One of those times was when I got laid off from Child Evangelism Fellowship. Like, I didn't feel afraid. I didn't feel sad. I knew that God was working out his plan and purpose. And when I resigned from Every Generation Ministries and started pursuing pastoral ministry, we left before I had a pastoral job. And I knew that it was right. We weren't fearful. We traveled the country a little bit, <laughs> visited family. And then when God called us here, it was his providential hand at work. As a body of believers, we've experienced the providential hand of God using circumstances to work out his plan for us. I don't know if many of you knew, but Wade, our oldest son, helped me get live streaming set up in September before the pandemic hit. We didn't know the pandemic was coming. We didn't know that we might need that. God did. And we were prepared. When we received the uh, payroll protection plan loan from the, you know, from the government, and then it was forgiven, we were able to use the money that we had saved as a result of that to pay off the PA Department of Revenue tax debt. God knew that, right? He knew that that loan was coming and that it was going to be forgiven and that we could save the offerings that were coming in to pay off the debt. I've seen God do it time and time again, where he orchestrates certain songs being sung that fit together so well with the message. And the person that chose the songs had no idea what was being preached. God did. And providentially, he just works out his plan and purpose. It's so incredible to see that. Now, we do not always recognize it when we are going through it, but God is in control of the circumstances of our lives. So what are you going through right now that has you wondering what God is doing? Like, what's he doing right now in my life? I just don't understand. Do you truly believe that God is in control of every circumstance, including your current circumstance? Can you trust his providential work in your life because of his faithful work in your life previously? Maybe you're ready to take this first next step today, and that's to trust God to accomplish his purpose in my life since he's in control of the circumstances. You'll find that on the back of your communication card. Maybe you're ready to take that step today. God was in control of the circumstances of Jacob's life, and through his providential work, Jacob elevated Ephraim and Manasseh to the status of sons so his purposes would be accomplished. And then we see a rationale that Jacob gives for why he's doing this. He revisits the premature death of his favorite wife, Rachel, <clears throat> when they were returning from Padan Aram, which is northwestern Mesopotamia. Rachel died near Bethlehem, giving birth to Benjamin, her second son. Jacob buried her beside the road to Bethlehem, and had she not died prematurely, she would have probably had additional children, including more sons. <clears throat> so Matthews in his commentary says, since Rachel had no more children, 
Jacob counted the sons born to Joseph as his own by proxy, immediately multiplying her tribes. So Rachel went from two to four sons that were going to be part of the twelve. And so Joseph's sons, who were now Jacob's sons, would also be counted as Rachel's sons. And then we see this question. Jacob asked Joseph, who are these? Do you find that odd? (laughs) He had already named them, right? As part of this adoptive process and wanting to bless them. So when he says, who are these? It's not because he didn't know who they were. The question was to signify the beginning of the official adoption ceremony. Wolke, he says, the question to identify the beneficiaries is part of the legal ritual of adoption and or blessing. And then Hamilton goes on and he says, one thinks, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> one thinks of the question at a baptism, what name is given to this child? Or the question at a wedding, who gives this woman to this man? Neither of which is prompted by the ignorance of the clergy person. So it's like, it's not that I don't know when I'm doing a, a wedding that I don't know who the people are that are getting married, but it's part of the official ceremony. It's to identify who is marrying whom. And finally, uh, Sarna says this, uh, we have here the second stage of the legal adoptive process, namely the establishment, the establishment of the true identity of the candidates for adoption by formal interrogation of the natural father. So Jacob is saying to Joseph, who are these guys again? I want you to name them so that we have this all in, you know, set in stone. This is part of the ceremony. And then we see Joseph's response. He credits God for giving him these two sons. That leads us to our second principle today, that children are a gift from God. Do you believe that? Well, I do. Grandchildren are a gift from God. Yeah, it goes on and on. So whether they are a biological, adopted, <clears throat> or spiritual children, all children are a gift from God. Whether they are expected or unexpected, planned or unplanned, all children are a gift from God. Whether they are special needs or quote-unquote normal, some of you that have children will understand that, all children are a gift from God. Whether they're in the womb or outside the womb, all children are a gift from God. They're not a mass of tissue. They're a human being. They're a child. They're a baby. They're a gift from God. Jacob requested that Joseph bring them to him so he could bless them. We learned that Jacob's eyes were failing because of old age. Boy, I understand that. The older I get, that's why these glasses are right here. And Joseph brought his sons close to Jacob, and Jacob embraced them and kissed them. Jacob never thought he would see Joseph again, and now he's not only seen Joseph, but he's seen his two sons. And that leads us to our third principle today, that God is the one who numbers our days. Jacob was like, I'm going to die. I'm never going to see Joseph. I'm never going to see any of his kids. And God's like, "Mm, no, I'm numbering your days. You've got 17 years here in Egypt. You'll get to hang out with them. When our first grandchild was just an infant, we had the privilege of going to a family reunion on my father's side, we were able to take a couple of pictures that featured five generations. You'll see it pop up here. On the left side is my grandma, my dad, myself, my son, and my granddaughter. That's the five generations in the John's line. And then on the, the right side, you see uh, my grandma and then Judy and then my mom. 
and then uh, uh, Seth's wife, and then our grandchild, our granddaughter as well. And so, uh, you know, it was neat to have that five-generational picture, but I uh, was wondering, you know, she was the first great-great-grandchild that my grandma Johns had and got to hold. Now, I don't know if she ever thought about that when she was a young woman. Like, I can't wait until I get to see my great-great-granddaughter. I don't think she ever thought that. But boy, she got to see it. God had numbered her days. I'm not sure that my parents ever thought that we'll get to see our great-great, or our great-grandchildren. Not great-great, just one great. Our great-grandkids, right? But they have. God's numbered their days. And so is there anything that you never imagined you would see or experience in your lifetime? Think about the people that saw the first toaster. <laughs> toaster? That was, a, that was a major modern convenience, right? Back in the day. Or maybe the first automobile or a telephone or television or microwave, computer. Now you carry a computer around in your pocket or your purse, Right? They probably never thought that they would see or experience those things. And so is there anything that you're hoping to see before you die? Maybe it's grandchildren, great-grandchildren, or great-great-grandchildren. Keep praying. Maybe it's the salvation of a loved one. Keep praying. Maybe it's a spiritual revival in our nation. Keep praying. It can happen. Perhaps it's the cure for some disease. Keep praying. God knows our heart and the number of our days so we can trust him to accomplish his plan and purpose for us. That's what he did for Jacob. He allowed him to see Joseph and his two sons. Joseph removed his sons from Israel's knees. It's unlikely that Ephraim and Manasseh were actually sitting on Israel's lap, one on each knee, because they were between 18 and 20 years old. Okay? Probably wasn't happening. If you remember, Israel was weak and frail, and he had to rally his strength just to sit up in bed. So he's probably just, uh, they're probably just kneeling uh, before Israel, and they go between his knees when he is embracing them and kissing them. With the adoption complete, Joseph bows down with his face to the ground in respect of his father, and Ephraim and Manasseh <clears throat> are now the beneficiaries of being adopted into Jacob's family. But Jacob still has... A blessing for, it, for them, as we see in verses 13 to 20. So look at those verses with me, if you would. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand, <clears throat> and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased, so he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. 
Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them in that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Now you understand why Joseph, or I'm sorry, why Jacob called them in the order that he did. He knew what he was about to do. And so this blessing takes place. Joseph orchestrated his approach to his father Israel. He put Ephraim on his right side toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left side toward Israel's right hand. He probably did this to help his father who was struggling to see. Joseph understood the culture and traditions of the day. He knew that the right hand was the position of strength, honor, power, and glory. Exodus chapter 15, verse 6 says this, Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. The psalmist writes in chapter 89, verse 13, Your arm is endued with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand is In Matthew chapter 25, verse 33, we read these words, he, put, uh, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. We understand the significance of that right hand. He wanted Manasseh, his firstborn son, to receive the greater blessing. But Israel shook it up. As we saw in verse 14, as Ephraim and Manasseh approached Israel, he reached out his right hand and placed it on Ephraim's head. Then he crossed his arms and placed his left hand on Manasseh's head. Hamilton says, Jacob may be losing his sight, but he's not losing his insight. He's being guided by God. Israel followed the leading of the Lord in his crisscrossed gesture. It was God who was acting to accomplish his purpose. And we see our fourth principle today from Gangle and Bramer's commentary again. God acts according to his own purpose, not necessarily in line with human tradition or custom. God is all-knowing and eternal, which means that he knows the beginning from the end. He sees the totality of history and is able to act according to his own purpose. There are times when his actions do not line up with our traditions, our customs, or human logic, but his ways are perfect. Isaiah, writing in chapter 55, verses 8 to 11, says this, and this is God speaking, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The psalmist writing, again, in chapter 18, uh, verses 30 to 36, says this, As for God, his, ways, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. Aren't you grateful for that? He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give, uh, you give me your strength your shield of victory, and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. God's ways are perfect. They're not always like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. They're higher than ours. So where are you at today? Is there something that you're going through right now that you're questioning God about? Are you looking at it through the eyes of human tradition, custom, and logic? 
Do you believe that God's way is perfect and His word is flawless? What changes do you need to make? Do you need to submit to God's ways instead of yours? Do you need to think with the mind of Christ instead of with the mind of humanity? Maybe that second next step on the back of your communication card is for you today, and that's to submit my issue to God's perfect way, even if it does not line up with human tradition, custom, or logic. You see, God's way is perfect. When Joseph saw that his father, what his father had done, he tried to correct him, but Israel refused. Israel explained that he knew what he was doing, and it was not an accident because it was poor eyesight. Like, this isn't happening because of poor eyesight. This is the hand of God guiding the hand of Jacob. Israel intentionally gave the greater blessing to Ephraim. Isaac intentionally blessed Jacob or Israel due to deception. But that wasn't the case here. This wasn't deception going on. This was the sovereignty of God. God knew exactly what he was doing through, his entire, through this entire situation. Now Manasseh, he said, is going to become a people and great also, but Ephraim would be greater and his descendants would become a nation, a group of nations, and not just a people. Kyle and Dillich say this blessing began to be fulfilled from the time of the judges, when the tribe of Ephraim so increased in extent and power that it took the lead of the northern tribes and became the head of the ten tribes, and its name acquired equal importance with the name Israel. So Ephraim, this was the blessing. It was coming true. Now, I skipped over verses 15 and 16 on purpose. Let's look back at those two at the actual blessing that we see here. Israel or Jacob's testimony covered three generations. Israel call, recalls how his grandfather and father walked before God. Next, he highlighted how God had shepherded him all his life and delivered him from all harm. And finally, he prayed that this ever-present, guiding and delivering God would bless Ephraim and Manasseh. So our fifth principle today is simply this. God walks with, guides, and delivers his people. Whatever circumstances you're facing right now, God is with you in it. He will guide you through it and will deliver you from all harm. What do you need to experience from him right now? Do you need to experience his presence with you? Do you need him to guide your thoughts and actions? Do you need him to deliver you from something? Just cry out to him right now. In the quietness of your heart, just cry out to him. Tell him what you need from him right now. His presence, his guidance, his deliverance. Maybe you're ready for that third next step on the back of your communication card that says, ask the Lord to be with me to guide me and or deliver me. We see the results of the blessing. Ephraim and Manasseh will be called by Israel, Israel, Abraham, and Isaac's names. And they would increase greatly upon the earth. Ephraim and Manasseh experienced and received the generational blessing from Israel or Jacob. And we can experience the blessings of God from generation to generation. Israel had one final blessing for Joseph. When we see it in verses 21 to 22, he bequeathed him some land. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, as one who is over your brothers, I give the ridge of land I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. (coughs) 
So Israel encouraged Joseph that God would be with him and would take him back to the promised land. Now, we don't know if Israel believed that this was going to happen in Joseph's lifetime, but he knew that it was going to happen. And we do know that when Joseph was about to die, he made the Israelites promise to take his bones back to the promised land when, he ret- when they returned, which they did. And then Israel gave a double portion of land to Joseph as the firstborn. Now, it's not recorded what ridge of land Jacob had taken with his sword and bow. It's not recorded in, in Scripture anywhere. Some scholars believe it was the city of Shechem where Simeon and Levi had taken revenge for Dina, their sister, by slaughtering all the male inhabitants of Shechem. But we also learn from that passage uh, earlier in Genesis that he didn't, Jacob didn't approve of that. He was upset with them because of what they had done. But perhaps uh, he occupied the land after everyone was destroyed. We do know this in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32. It says this, And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. So for now, we may just have to wonder about that land. We don't know exactly where it is. As we review this morning, do you need to trust God to accomplish His purpose in your life since He's in control of the circumstances? Perhaps you need to submit your issue to God's perfect way, even if it does not line up with human tradition, custom, or logic. Maybe you need to ask the Lord to, give, uh, to be with you, to guide you and or deliver you. You know, as a body of believers, we, can, uh, we need to trust God to accomplish His purpose in the life of the church. We may need to submit our issue to God's perfect way, and we may need to ask the Lord to be with us, to guide us, or to deliver us. As I close, I just want to read this quote. It's sometimes difficult to understand why things happen as they do. Even as believers, we find it difficult to understand why God chooses certain purposes and brings them about a certain way. But God is sovereign. He acts in keeping with his character, but not always in harmony with human custom and tradition. Both Jacob and Joseph demonstrated they understood that their responsibility was to exercise faith. Faith to the very end of life. As the worship team comes and as the ushers prepare to take up the tithes and offerings and the communication cards, would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, thank you again for your Holy Spirit that's been working during this time that we've had together, just looking into your word. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to work during this closing song, during lunch today, during the rest of this week. Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Pray that we would just submit to your control of our circumstances that we would turn to you for your guidance, for your presence, for your deliverance. So, Lord, we lift it up to you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.